Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 12 of the Forge of Freedom. Before we get into the topic for today, I just want to tell everybody a little bit about the podcast. I'm an attorney, a firearms instructor, and a husband with a passion for freedom. At the Forge of Freedom, we believe that freedom is the highest political goal, and we believe that individuals thrive where freedom and personal responsibility coexist. Without a populace that shares a passion for freedom and personal responsibility, the world can quickly devolve into tyranny. And it is our hope that this podcast can help motivate our listeners and those around them to create and preserve freedom for themselves and for future generations. But the task of creating and preserving freedom is not an easy one. Freedom is not given to us by government, and it is not passed on in the bloodstream. Freedom is forged through personal responsibility and continued vigilance, and we want to motivate you and equip you with the knowledge, the skills, and the attitude to develop your body, mind, and soul for the task of living a freer life and creating a freer world. We want you to have the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. We want you to be the Forge of Freedom. With that said, once again, I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 12 of the Forge of Freedom. And today we're going to be talking about a concept building on the topic from last week. We're going to be talking about Stand Your Ground this week. And if you haven't listened to episode 11 about Castle Doctrine, I'd encourage you to go back and go ahead and listen to that episode uh, before you listen to the episode today, because today we're going to talk about uh, an extension of that concept, of the Castle Doctrine concept, uh, by talking about Stand Your Ground. People often ask about Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground because these are buzzwords and concepts that are often used by the media, usually to suggest that if a state adopts Castle Doctrine, or more often, stand your ground, there, there will be blood in the streets. But these concepts and legal doctrines are often misunderstood, and the mainstream media usually get these concepts wrong or portray them in a very misleading way. It's often used in a way that's overly broad. Uh, you may recall, for instance, the trial of George Zimmerman in Florida, for the death of Trayvon Martin. The media coverage of that trial was used to put stand your ground on trial as a legal mechanism that creates blood in the streets. But the trial of George Zimmerman had virtually nothing to do with stand your ground. And I'll explain why after we get through an explanation of stand your ground. To recap briefly from last week, depending on the location, a person may have a duty to retreat to avoid violence if one can reasonably and safely do so. The core definition of castle doctrine, as we discussed last week, means one thing and one thing only. Without the additions that many states add to the core definition of castle doctrine, if you would have had a generalized 
duty to retreat, if retreat were safely possible, you are relieved of that generalized duty to retreat if you are in your home. That's all castle doctrine means at its core, and this is the historical meaning. And every state, as we said, has at least this core definition of castle doctrine, but there are various flavors or versions of castle doctrine that states have adopted. Even within the core definition, these additional protections or various flavors from state to state of castle doctrine. We discussed in more depth last week, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 11, specifically about castle doctrine if you haven't already listened to that. But in addition to these add-ons or different variations within the castle doctrine, some states also have an additional legal protection called stand your ground. Now remember, depending on the location, a person may have a duty to retreat to avoid violence if one can reasonably and safely do so. Stand your ground laws provide that people may use deadly force when they reasonably believe it is necessary to defend against certain violent crimes. Under such a law, people have no duty to retreat before using force up to and including deadly force in self-defense so long as they are in a place where they are lawfully present. And like Castle Doctrine, the nuances or details of the Stand Your Ground Law varies by jurisdiction. The alternative to Stand Your Ground would be a duty to retreat. And in jurisdictions that implement a duty to retreat, even a person who is unlawfully attacked or who is defending someone who is unlawfully attacked may not use deadly force if it is possible to instead avoid the danger with complete safety by retreating. Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground laws provide legal defenses to people who have been charged with various use of force crimes against persons such as murder, manslaughter, aggravated assault, illegal discharge or brandishing of a firearm or a weapon, as well as attempts to commit such crimes. Now, as I said before, all states have some form of castle doctrine, or at least the core version of castle doctrine. And a significant majority of states, well over 30, have some version of stand your ground. Indiana statute, by example, says, a person is justified in using reasonable force against any other person to protect the person or a third person from what the person reasonably believes to be the imminent use of unlawful force. However, a person is justified in using deadly force and does not have a duty to retreat if the person reasonably believes that force is necessary to prevent serious bodily injury to the person or a third person or the commission of a forcible felony. And this is under Indiana Code 35-41-3-2. 
And this is this contains Indiana's Stand Your Ground law. Now, you didn't hear Stand Your Ground anywhere in that statute. Indiana doesn't use the language Stand Your Ground. But it says a person is justified in using deadly force and does not have a duty to retreat. That is the Stand Your Ground language. And it doesn't have anything to do with being in a dwelling or a home. A person does not have a duty to retreat, even outside the home, if you're in a place where you have a right to be. So there you go. Castle Doctrine says no duty to retreat in your home. Stand your ground. No duty to retreat outside the home. So where does the stand your ground language come from? Well, stand your ground became a topic of discussion, a popular topic of discussion uh, in Florida after the George Zimmerman or during the George Zimmerman trial for the uh, death of Trayvon Martin. Because the Florida statute, Florida has stand your ground, but the Florida statute actually uses the language stand your ground. Uh, Florida statute, this is Title 46, Chapter 776, and it says a person is justified in using or threatening to use deadly force if he or she reasonably believes that using or threatening to use such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself or another or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. A person who uses or threatens to use deadly force in accordance with this subsection does not have a duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground if the person using or threatening to use the deadly force is not engaged in a criminal activity, and is in a place where he or she has the right to be. So there you go, stand his or her ground. That's that's partly where sort of this stand your ground notion or stand your ground language in particular comes from was the discussion of Florida's statute uh, during the George Zimmerman trial. So that was, that was pretty quick. We... Uh, Recap Castle Doctrine, we discuss Stand Your Ground, which extends this uh, removal of the duty to retreat beyond the home. So why did I set aside an entire episode to Stand Your Ground when I could have had a quick discussion of it and added it to the end of the Castle Doctrine episode? Well, I wanted to take some time to discuss stand your ground from a philosophical point of view. Castle Doctrine removes the duty to retreat in the home, which very few people have an issue with. However, stand your ground removes the duty to retreat anywhere you are lawfully present, which many people see as a huge problem. In fact, this concept is often demonized, but I think wrongfully so. In fact, during the trial of George Zimmerman, Stand Your Ground was portrayed by the media as being the reason 
for the death of Trayvon Martin. The message was that Trayvon Martin would still be alive if not for Florida's draconian Stand Your Ground law. Stand Your Ground was portrayed as a new concept that, if it took hold, would result in blood in the streets across America. First of all, Stand Your Ground is not a new concept. Indiana has had some version of Stand Your Ground since at least 1877 when the Indiana Supreme Court case of Runyon versus State said, the weight of modern authority in our judgment establishes the doctrine that when a person being without fault and in a place where he has a right to be is violently assaulted, he may, without retreating, repel force by force, and if, in the reasonable exercise of his right of self-defense, his assailant is killed, he is justifiable. So it's not a new concept. But the other thing is that it's certainly a tragedy that Trayvon Martin is dead. But Stand Your Ground had nothing to do with George Zimmerman's use of force. Trayvon Martin was on top of George Zimmerman, with Zimmerman pinned against the ground. And even if this confrontation had taken place in a state with a duty to retreat, without stand your ground, George Zimmerman would not have had an obligation to retreat because you are only required to retreat if you can safely and reasonably do so. And that's just not possible when you are laying on your back. The other thing is that stand your ground is often portrayed in a or cast in a, a, a racial light or demonized from a racial perspective. Stand Your Ground during the George Zimmerman trial was portrayed as a license to kill black people. Like Stand Your Ground had some racial component. But this misses the fact that innocent black victims also use Stand Your Ground laws in their own defense. As it turns out, letting people defend themselves actually deters murders. Florida is one state that has a very detailed data set on the races of the people who have used standard ground defenses. Black people make up 16.7% of Florida's population, but they account for 34% of defendants who invoke the standard ground defense. And this is from the Crime Prevention Research Center at crimeresearch.org. Black defendants who invoke this statute are actually acquitted four percentage points more frequently than white defendants who invoke the Stand Your Ground statute. The Tampa Bay Times collected 119 cases from 2006 to October 2014 in which people charged with murder 
relied on Florida's Stand Your Ground law. 76% of the black defendants had killed other black people. Most of the people who were acquitted of murdering a black person were themselves black. Over 30 states have adopted laws that remove the requirement to retreat. Some states have had these laws since their inception. Before the famous 2012 Trayvon Martin-George Zimmerman case, these laws were overwhelmingly supported across racial lines. But the media made it a racial issue. And the irony is that George Zimmerman never used Stand Your Ground in his defense. Zimmerman was on his back and had no option to retreat, so the law was completely irrelevant. With that said, neither Castle Doctrine nor Stand Your Ground is a license to kill. Even if the person being attacked, the potential victim, is absolved of the duty to retreat, the use of force must still be justified under all the other elements required to be present before force is justified. The person being attacked still must be innocent. The person being attacked must be facing the imminent use of unlawful force. The person being attacked must use reasonable force to deter the, at the attack. And the person being attacked must use proportional force. If any of these elements are not present, the use of force will not be justified, and neither Castle Doctrine nor Stand Your Ground will revive or uphold the claim of self-defense if all these other elements are not present. Importantly, Stand Your Ground only applies to legitimate self-defense. If your self-defense claim fails on another principle, Stand Your Ground is irrelevant. The greatest value of Stand Your Ground from my perspective is that it limits the power of overreaching prosecutors. The jurors and the judge were not present at the time of the attack. They didn't experience the fear and the adrenaline, the, the literal fight for their life that the victim or the potential victim experienced. A prosecutor can show the jury and the judge a sketch of the scene and ask, why didn't the defendant just escape this way or that way or some other way? He didn't have to kill that man. He could have just been the bigger person and walked away. This is all suggested, of course, in an air-conditioned room with the 2020 vision of hindsight. The adoption of stand-your-ground laws takes this particular weapon out of the prosecutor's hands, preventing them from destroying your right to argue self-defense just because adrenaline got in the way of seeing possible avenues of escape. Implementing a stand-your-ground law over a duty to retreat places the life and safety of the potential victim over the criminal rather than the criminal assailant above the potential victim. 
Be careful, though, because in some stand-your-ground states, even though retreat isn't required, not doing so can still undermine the reasonableness requirement. In such states, a prosecutor can't argue that you had a duty to retreat, but they can still argue that retreat was so apparent that not doing so was unreasonable. I'm not a Wisconsin attorney, but I believe that this is the the way it is in Wisconsin. As you can see, stand your ground, much like Castle Doctrine, can get very complicated and almost impossible to remember, especially if you travel to different states. How could you possibly remember the nuances of Castle Doctrine or stand your ground from state to state? And we haven't even gotten into detail about the other elements of justifiable self-defense claims. That's why it is important to think about these sorts of topics before you haphazardly take on the responsibility of arming yourself with a deadly weapon or deciding to use force in self-defense. If you are confronted with a deadly threat, these complicated legal nuances are difficult to comprehend. That's why my father and I teach a five-hour legal class that helps distill these concepts into usable information that you can process when and if you are confronted with a deadly threat. In fact, we're teaching our legal concepts for concealed carry and self-defense with a firearm course on April 2nd from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Salem Assembly of God in Salem, Indiana. For more information about the class, check out the Forge of Freedom Facebook page. I'll link to the event at the top of the show notes along with some other articles and resources I used in the preparation of this show. But for now, that's where we'll leave it with Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you did enjoy the show, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to help us spread the message of freedom. I look forward to talking with you again next week when I will be joined by my good friend Aaron Sperling to discuss the Stoic philosophy, lifestyle, and mindset. Until then, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.